Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Raptors Reasonless Podcast for the Athletic Toronto. I'm your host, Blake Murphy. Joining me here at midcourt of the Biosteel Center, Eric Green. Eric, uh, you have a, a look on your face. What are you What are you thinking right now? We're just surrounded by Raptors executives, staff, officials. Masai Jiri is within earshot, so yeah. this is going to be the most positive podcast yeah. of all time. This is a great, great sweep. Great, great, great four-game loss. The best sweep. Yes, there's never been a better one. No, uh, the Pacers sweep at the hands of the Cavaliers was no better. No, not, um, not in any objective measure. Before we continue on, just a quick procedural note. Um, yes, the audio quality on these hasn't been great, and it probably won't be today because we're at the BioSteel Center. Um, I know I promised early in the life of this podcast that I would get a mixer and the audio quality would improve. I did get a mixer. It's just that the last couple we've done in the field or on the fly um, or you were in a hotel room or whatever. So um, the quality will eventually go up. There will just be less to talk about when it does. Um, plenty to talk about today, though. Masai Ujiri conducted his end-of-season press conference at the Biosteel Center. It ran 41 minutes long. Yes. Uh, Masai was very emphatic about a lot of things. He did not say a lot of particulars in specific which of course he didn't he was never going to um eric large picture takeaways from a marathon press conference today i think the most specific he got was in a need to play a different way um and that is the thing that sort of i'm coming back to the the most detailed the most emphatic point of view is we've tried this way in the regular season uh and it's worked to certain levels and four straight years now in the playoffs and I'm not sure they were I'd have to go back to the to the first year that 13-14 and see how isolation heavy that team was Uh, I recall them having a bit more ball movement maybe Um, but in the playoffs the offensive numbers have gone down and I don't think we're at the point anymore where we can say, well, that's just playoff basketball. Like, you know, Dwayne Casey himself was making the point to beat the Cavaliers. You have to be, you know, in the mid, you know, in the hundred and teens. So it's not, I think he was very emphatic in that that has to change. I think he He used the term culture reset. Yes. Um, which gets you thinking about any number of things. It gets you thinking about the co- the coach, I'd say, which primarily. Which we should probably talk about. Yeah, let's start there. Yeah, okay, so if the system's going to change, um, the question then becomes, if the system's going to change and the culture needs to be reset, the question becomes, is Dwayne Casey the right voice to lead that change? And to his credit, Casey has proven adaptable. Um, Masai said that in the conversations that they had, Casey was accountable and he was, um, he acknowledged the need to change. And Casey himself has publicly um, moved off of his previous beliefs about, you know, defense first and, you know, holding teams to a certain number of points is what important, what's important. And he's come around on that. Um, but the question still remains, if you bring everything back, and we'll talk about the specifics of that, um, can you justify bringing back the same leadership to try something different, or do you need a change in voice or someone who has a track record or a different system doing something differently? Yeah, it's uh, it's a fascinating question, and, and we didn't get an answer to that today. Uh, I think 
as Masayu Jerry said at the beginning of his press conference, if I gave you specific answers right now, I'd be a bad leader. Yes, um, two days after the season yeah. ends is probably not enough evaluation yeah. time when your hand isn't forced on anything for at least another seven weeks. Yeah. yeah. Well, the draft. Yeah. Six weeks. Um, you know, I think you want the coaching picture solved before the draft, because ideally. It, yeah, well, it informs um, what you're doing and yeah. perhaps the futures of a, a few free agents. Yes. Um, but I, I don't necessarily leave any clearer on which way he's going to go with Dwayne Casey. Um, this is, it, it would be a lot to ask him to revamp his offensive style uh, that he, he's run with over the last four years. But that's also the, the, the problem here is separating coach from players. So how much do you think, like, like, like how much do you think is on Dwayne Casey the, for the way they have not adapted to a different offensive style and they tried to do it midstream against Milwaukee and Cleveland? Right. That's and it, what we have to ask ourselves, right? Yeah, and it becomes, it almost becomes a chicken or the egg thing where you have Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan and Dwayne Casey and having those three as your core um, dictates you know, you build a style around them, and then that personnel and that style dictates your personnel moves from there. So you get guys that fit around Lowry and DeRozan in this drive-heavy offense that the team excels at and is top five in offense every year in the regular season. Um, you know, if the Raptors wanted to, say they rolled back the exact same roster, and they just wanted to play more like Cleveland or Golden State or even San Antonio, well, they don't have the personnel to do that. No one other than Lowry and DeRozan and Corey Joseph can really pass on this team. Um, they don't, you know, Masai said that, um, you know, the, everyone talks up the need to get three-point shooting, but maybe the guys uh, they have could have shot better. Yeah, well, that's true. But you also had two guys over the in your eight-man rotation for those final two Cavs games. You had two guys who shot above league average on three-pointers during the course of the regular season, and very few guys who are shooting them at a high rate. Right. And, you know, again, Kyle Lowry hangs over everything because Kyle Lowry is also is not only your best three point shooter, but your best creator of threes for others. Um, So it's hard to separate those things. The wrinkle beyond that is that um, the Raptors do have a pretty vast playbook. They've just put some of it away as, you know, the personnel has dictated. And and because you want to simplify things, um, the playbook that Nick Nurse has for this team is a lot larger. So maybe there are things within their capability, things they did three or four years ago when Gravis and Lou Williams were were still around and, and you know, John Sammons was getting those touches. Um, maybe there are some relics from that that they could bring back to vary things. Um, but the question also becomes, when it comes to coaching, is who's out there? And I know people are fond of Jerry Stackhouse was great with the 905. No coach has ever gone directly from the D-League bench to the NBA bench without time as an assistant in between. Um, he also ran a lot of what the Raptors, like a, most of what they ran offensively, save for some pet stuff for Brady Heslip, who is the greatest shooter not in the NBA, um, was out of the Raptors' playbook. Yeah. And then, you know, if it's not that, if it's Nick Nurse or Rex Kalamian, well, those guys have been here for a couple of years and their influence should be pronounced on the system that's already run. No, no, so. it's, it's an interesting thought. Like... Um, I think maybe I left that press conference thinking Dwayne Casey coming back is a little less likely than I thought before, but I don't feel strong. Like, yeah. It's like incremental the way yeah, I feel Yeah, if I had that. to put a number on it, I, I actually think it's less than 50%. That, um, but that's also kind of a conditional probability in that 
there's only a certain percentage that they keep everything together. Yeah. And then there, in that scenario, there's a percentage that Casey stays. And in the break it up scenario, I don't really see why you'd continue on. Uh, with, with Dwayne Casey, but how much intel can you grab before free agency? Because that's the question. If you have Kyle yeah. Lowry, you're not breaking it up. If you don't have him, things are getting broken up. Right. Not, not necessarily so, the whole thing. So this there is, might be some middle ground there, but it's, you know, it's before you ask yourself any question, the first question is, Kyle going to be here or not? Right, and that's a huge one that Masai And they only have, have half an answer. For. Yeah, you know? and, and Masai said that they want to keep him. He did not commit to the full five-year yeah. max. You know, like last year, um, the team was very clear that when the clock struck midnight on July 1st, they would be talking to DeMar DeRozan. They seem less confident in their ability to retain Kyle is the impression that I got um, than they did with DeRozan a year ago. And, and part of that is probably that, you know, they... I think DeRozan was an easier sell yeah. um, with fewer clear options for comparably good situations than Kyle Lowry may face. Well, I mean, you wrote about this today at I the sure Athletic, Tuesday at the Athletic. Um, it's, it was, it's tricky because I, I went through this. I didn't go through every team in the league as you probably did. Um, but with a few exceptions, there seems to be Kyle Lowry. Okay, Kyle Lowry said, I want a ring. That's my priority. Well, then he's going to Cleveland or Golden State, and he's taking way, way, way less than his market value. So. And Kyle Lowry's only been paid 65 not only, but relatively low, $65 million over his 10, 11-year career, yes, whatever it's he been. He has been paid He's been underpaid handsomely. over the last six years by NBA uh, standards. It's interesting. He's been paid very handsomely, and that $65 million is a ton of money. Yeah. It's also like a third of what he could get on his next contract. Yeah. So... I find it difficult to believe that he's going to punt on that. And he also said he wants to beat the best. Yeah. Um, now, that could just be signing with the loser of the NBA Finals, <laughs> you know, as Kevin Durant did. Um, but I think it's a bit more complex than that. So when you went through the league, I, I mean, I saw some scenarios where you get teams that are certainly lower down on the Raptors right now but will have the space your Philadelphia's, your New York's, your Minnesota's, maybe. Yeah. New and York, I, d I didn't even really yeah. consider. I barely um, gave them lips. Anyway, lips. you wrote about this. So what, yeah. what was your conclusion? My conclusion is that if you were laying out each individual option, um, Toronto still is the most likely. That yeah. doesn't mean, but saying Toronto but that is more mean likely. It's, it doesn't mean it's better than 50%. Right. It just it's means not, it's we're not likely. talking Toronto versus the field. We're talking Toronto versus each individual other outcome. And, yeah. you know, I think Philly is an interesting thing, and it, but it's mostly just a litmus test for how serious Lowry takes the ring. Thing. Yeah. Because, you know, Philly's fun, but Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid have played exactly zero seconds of NBA basketball together and may or may not be healthy next year. And the pick that they get may or may not be good out of the gate and is probably going to be a guard and there's there's a lot of noise there so i come back to teams that are good now and would be better with lowry the most fun one is the denver nuggets because he's such a massive upgrade at that position for them they have nikola Jokic, they have jamal murray and gary harris um danilo gallinari might be re-signed that's a tough sell yeah. if you're denver to convince kyle lowry to go to a non-playoff team 
Um, San Antonio is probably the most interesting in terms of putting Lowry in a position to win a ring, but they can really only get the necessary cap space if Tony Parker were to retire. Yeah. Um, his season ended on an injury, so maybe that's possible. Maybe Pau Gasol declines his player option. I don't think he will. That'd be strange, I Yeah, think. I mean, unless he's pretty certain he's going to get like a two or three year retirement contract somewhere. Um, so, you know, that hinges on that. Houston is probably the most interesting from a basketball perspective and a not so much Lowry returning there, but Lowry has developed into the exact type of point guard you would want in a, on a team like Houston yeah. as a guy who only shoots in the paint and shoots threes um, and can play defense next to James Harden. Uh, but they have some, you know, they, they're in a tough position contractually to clear that space. Daryl Morey will try, I'm sure. Um, and then, you know, the options kind of tail off from there. Is Utah willing to spend more money um, to make the change from George Hill to Kyle Lowry and get a little older and a little less long and a little less switchy? Um, I don't know. They have a ceiling with George Hill, but they have to they have to look at retaining Gordon Hayward too, and that informs things. Um, there are a few other options that I don't think are all that realistic. It's funny, like there there isn't this one player hanging over free agency this year. Um, yeah. To the same, you could say Gordon Hayward, maybe. Sure, but or, I, I, or Chris I don't, Paul and Blake Griffin. Yeah. Like Chris Paul could cause a domino effect. Yeah. If he, say Chris Paul were to leave the Clippers and Blake Griffin wants to stay. Then the Clippers suddenly become an interesting thing, and, and there's a domino effect there with um, not only Chris Paul and Kyle Lowry, but George Hill, Jeff Teague. There are a few um, interesting free agent names at the point guard position. Um, Chicago's a place that if Dwayne Wade were to decide he wants to stay, you know, maybe that's a thing. With Dwayne Wade and Jimmy Butler, I don't really know. Indiana with Paul George and Miles Turner is kind of like a better version of DeRozan and Jonas Valanciunas. Yeah. But like Paul George might just go to the Lakers then after that. So I don't know. There are all these places that are you could make a case for. And if Lowry decided it, you could ultimately see why. Um, and you could obviously see why these teams would want him. But again, you keep coming back to, yeah, Toronto makes the most sense because they can offer him a fifth year or they can offer him more money and higher raises or they can offer him the familiarity and comfort of DeMar DeRozan and the Raptors organization. And, and they can offer him ownership of what's been going on here, you know? And I don't know, he said on Monday that, you know, DeMar didn't know anything else, and yeah. he does know anything else. So I'm not sure how big of a role but that like, will play. But, like, does he know anything better? Yeah, well, he was in Houston, which is a, it must be a fascinating uh, culture, even if he sometimes yeah. bristled against certain aspects of what they were doing over there. Uh, yeah, so the Lowry thing colors everything, and Masai... Um, here's the quote from Masai. It's our jobs to try and get Kyle to come back and do it the best way we possibly can. We want him back. He's been a huge part of the success here, but uh, what is to say Kyle doesn't call me five days from now and says, you know what, I'm not coming. So every that kind of colors everything. If Lowry were to stay, Masai didn't give a great uh, impression of what specifically the team might do from a personnel standpoint. Yeah. Um, and they'll only have so many options, right? right. Like, this is what he did keep on saying, is like, we can't just keep on bringing players in. Right. Because they won't have the money. Yeah. Yeah, and player development's going to be huge, and, and that kind of suggests that, you know, attaching a pick to get rid of Damari Carroll is maybe not something that's on the table, because that's not great asset management. Um, so the I guess the next domino to fall, if Lowry came back, if Lowry doesn't come back, I think... You know, you could take Ibaka and Tucker off the table. Yeah, because like what's the point? Tucker's not going to... Tucker is such a marginal value guy in that he's he's awesome and he was great for Phoenix for those years. But what are you paying P.J. Tucker for if you're yeah. not already a competitive team? Yeah. 
the things he brings are, are kind of wasted. And, and Serge Ibaka, I just don't think it makes sense to lock into what, four years yeah. of a DeRozan-Ibaka core that's first-round playoff fodder. Yeah, it's, it's like the... I keep on coming back to what happened to Atlanta after Al Horford left. Different situation, coach who has a much more much more power within the organization, I would say, but they're sort of searching for a path now, and they re-signed Dennis Schroeder, and they signed Dwight... Bad. Yeah, they signed uh, Dwight Howard, and they were like the last team who Cleveland dispirited to the point of not quite knowing what to do, and now the Raptors find themselves in a similar pos- position, and I asked... Uh, Messiah Jerry today, if he sees value in sort of hanging around that 50-win range and hoping the luck turns your way, and he said there is, but again, that hinges on Kyle. So, and he I, I, also said, like in a similar breath, that you know, they're they're in this for a championship. Yeah. So, like he kind of, this was kind of the thing with his press conference. He he had a lot of great quotes and a lot of really interesting things to say, but he gave no impression yeah. of which direction he's leading. He. He gave a great tone and little, little detail. It was a very good leader of the organization yeah. press conference. Yeah, you can. He won the press conference, baby. He did, just like, like Rex Ryan on his first day in charge of the Buffalo Bills. This is the thing, like, like the Raptors have been. Off-season. I'm not comparing Masai Jerry <laughs> to Rex Ryan, by the way. Um, the Raptors <laughs> have been, you know, off-season champions before, and a big part of that is that, you know, Masai has this personality where you trust that what he's going to do is going to be the right decision because he is smart and he has a great track record and you get the impression that he really you know he's not mailing it in he's not this is this is the thing I, I always come back to is that like there are teams that are um bad and dumb and do bad and dumb things but if you have a modicum of faith in your management you know the the cries that that the organization is not doing what's in the organization's best interest always kill me. Yeah. It's like, oh, they don't want to win a championship. Well, they probably want to win a championship. Uh, it's just not clear how they do that from here. Yeah, and and I think uh, Sirat Sohi wrote a, a very compelling piece on why they should walk away from Kyle Lowry, but I think there is an equally compelling case to why they shouldn't. Like, because... That tanking path, even if there is, I think Zach Lowe and his piece at ESPN hinted that there might be a tanking vacuum yeah. next year, while the draft class isn't supposed to be that good. There's not a trade out there like Boston can that immediately resets its franchise, you know? Yeah. I, I, so And like the Raptors, Masai's done a really good job maintaining his pivot foot, keeping yeah. the back half of the roster loaded with developmental yeah. players and building, you know, Dan Tolzman and company building the 905 into a good player development system. Um, there is still not, you know, between those seven guys and the number 23 pick this year, there's not a guy you build around. There's no, not a not even you, close. you build around. Norman Powell probably yeah. has the highest upside of that group. Yeah. And he probably tops out as a, a number three. Yeah. So, you know, you still, you're looking at at least a year or two yeah. of going down that road. And the thing that you come back to with this is it is not a certainty. Like you, on, on a balance of probabilities, yes, your chances of landing a star improve. But like you land up with Andre Bargnani as the number one pick or you land up number four in the draft lottery in the year that LeBron James is in the draft. Yeah, like we've seen this and we just saw it in hockey, right? Like the Oilers... Yes. did their thing and 
they got however many number of one picks they got. Hockey's a different sport. I know. I, I, know. Want, I actually want um, to ask you a kind of a philosophical question while we're on the hockey Ooh, topic. philosophy. Does the Toronto Maple Leafs just did a, a, a tank? Like, not a straight-up tank, but, like, they, they took a serious step backward for two years in order to do the kind of build the Raptors might be facing. They got Austin Matthews yeah. uh, and are now coming out of it. I'm curious as to your take on the Raptors and Leafs have different fan bases. They're not the same thing, but they do have the same organization and they are competing in the Toronto sports marketplace for eyeballs and attention and media, you know, bandwidth and things like that. Do you think that the Maple Leafs successfully tanking maybe makes it more tolerable for the Raptors to do the same and sell that? Or do you think the fact that the Leafs are now coming out of that at the exact time that the Raptors might be stepping into it is too risky for the Raptors from a public attention uh, and momentum standpoint? I don't think that will affect what Masai Ujiri does. I know. Well, well I'm curious as to your, your take on your take on it then. Because I, I agree. I think Masai will do what he what thinks he is best to get a championship. Yes. Yeah. Um, I don't... I just don't think there's... I think he'll serve it. I, I know you're asking me what I think, and what I think is that there are all these options out there, and I don't think the Leafs in any way inform that. Okay. I, that uh, sorry. I, I, I get that, and, and it's not, you know, it's not the most... It's not the most pressing of questions, obviously. Yeah. But, like, Masai Ujiri has a super long leash, I'd imagine. Yeah. He still is employed by yeah. MLSE, and this might be an MLSE discussion. Yeah. So Not that they would tell Masai how to run his team. There's nothing... I'm not saying anything like that. But in, when it comes to evaluate, you know, three, four years down the line. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think that's why he sort of said that ownership is totally open to us going that way to the Raptors going that way. He did say that, like, he right did. after he said, can you go into the tax? He said, yes. Can you tank? I mean, that wasn't yes. the question. He said, He said yes. he's going to build all the scenarios and put them in front of ownership. Um, and then he mentioned they owe it to the fans as well to kind of explore all of these options. Yeah. And that that was one of his comments that kind of made me think they're leaning towards keeping it. Yeah. Um, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I think if Kyle wants to come back and they can do it, Maybe it's a five-year deal, not at the max. Five um, years is a lot of years. Five years is a lot of years, but we just saw Horford walk away from the Hawks after they wouldn't give him the fifth year because it's sort of like a sign of respect of what you mean to the team. You can take it as that, right? Like you can say, this is your advantage. What do I mean to you? Like why should Kyle Lowry give the Raptors a hometown, a hometown discount. Like, yeah. They can also give him more money over four years than any other team can yes. give him. And I'm sure that is what they will try to do, like, uh, if they want to keep him. Yeah, I think um, if they want to keep him, it makes sense to either give him more money than anyone else can on a four-year deal or give him a five-year deal that gets him more total money yeah. but less annual money than yeah. he can get elsewhere. Yeah, so I think... Yeah, we've moved away from the philosophical question. I'm not yes, even sure. Yes, we, we what can the, just ditch the philosophical uh, question. I, I mean, I think, I think this is an organization that's open to going any way, and I think this fan base, at least the fan base that probably we interact with more, would be open to that because it's it's 
frustrating, as Ms. Ayudhuri said at his press conference, to see a team lose in similar ways, no matter how far they get, because of the sim- similar deficiencies. Uh, so it come, becomes a question, if everybody wants to be here, can you change the way you play and get to a higher level and maybe run into some more luck? Is that a better bet than tearing it all down? And I don't think either is a good bet. You're, the odds are always that you're not going to win the championship yes. unless you have a transformative player yes. or the four. The odds are almost like, always yeah. that you're going to pick between 5 and 25. Yeah. <laughs> like. Yeah. Or if you, you know, Golden State hits on picks 7, 11, and 35. Uh, and then and also then, the transcendent superstar has uh, ankle issues yeah, that require him to take that allow you to sign market value. and then that allows you to sign Kevin Durant. Yes. Like these are freak things. Yes. So like to think Here's, there's a lack of control that Masai Ujiri has that every GM has that we have to acknowledge. Look, the Spurs, David Robinson got hurt in the year Tim Duncan was available in the draft. Yeah. Like, if that accident doesn't break that way, if David Robinson gets hurt in a different year, or Tim Duncan is not available in that draft, or they don't end up with the number one pick, yeah. like, these are things that... And sure, they make a great trade to get yes. Kawhi Leonard. Yes. <coughs> um, but it all comes from Duncan, right? Yes. So these are the things you have to kind of hope break your way. And, you know, on the bright side, if the Raptors do take a step back and tear it down... Get the hashtag ready, Grin and Barrett for, for Ron Barrett, <laughs> RJ Barrett. Um, who, by the way, actually, that's interesting. This is this is too specific into the tanking path. If the Raptors were to take a step back, um, RJ Barrett, who is a Canadian and is the son of um, former national team player Rowan Barrett and assistant GM of the of the national program Rowan Barrett, um, he is a very highly touted prospect. He is in the process of deciding whether or not to reclassify for the recruiting class of 2018. Um, that could, it, it's not going to inform Toronto's decision, obviously, but from a Toronto fan base perspective, that certainly changes how I think people would enjoy the um, prospect watching part of that process oh. because he might be a 2019 number one pick instead of a 2020 number yeah, one pick. Yeah, but you remember Charlotte having that 7 and 59 yeah. year and just hoping for Anthony Davis, hoping for Anthony Davis. Then you get the two pick and you get Michael Kidd Gilchrist and he gets injured a bunch and has limitations. And uh, that's, I mean, it's just, it's dangerous. Every path is dangerous and that one, uh, it's just hard. There are teams ahead of them. Like Boston is just kicking the can down the road further and further. And once LeBron hits his denouement if if Boston hits on these picks then they're the the beast you're going to have to contend with yes although Boston is losing some of the equity of all this stuff like Jay Crowder's terrific contract is getting further along Isaiah Thomas and Avery Bradley are coming closer to free agency they will you know yes but they'll also have if they hit these picks I'm just saying they got to strike soon yeah otherwise you know it could be Milwaukee we're talking about or it could be Philadelphia yeah could be a lot of things. Could be Washington. This is, and this is the thing that I, um, when I was writing, I, kind of, I wrote something for Raptors Republic on Tuesday. That's kind of like there aren't right or wrong answers. Like people are going to disagree and people are going to argue, uh, but there aren't. You can't be. You can't 
be right or wrong in wanting to tank or wanting to keep yourself in this position because if you tank yeah your odds are a little better long term of attaining a superstar but also like what's to say there's not going to be another LeBron or Warriors when you get good again like you're if you tear it down you're trying to get you're lucky to get back to this point yeah within the next say five years and then what if Giannis is the guy in your way what if the Celtics have turned into a Warriors level you know they they add another free agent or make another trade and, and hit on one and of the like picks. look like, at Minnesota who is yeah landed two number one picks Carl one through a trade be a top five player yeah. in the NBA next year and what's guaranteed for them nothing and they have, like, a great coach. Like, the consensus best coach on the free agent market last year is now running their Sign organization. Sign and trade Lowry for Rubio. <laughs> uh, should we end it there? Yeah, we should probably end it there. Um, do you have any other takeaways? We're, we're pushing up against the 30-minute mark, but... Yeah, I think... Um, I just think it starts and ends with Lowry. And yes. they'll make a coaching decision before that. And I would hope, uh, irrespective of that, um, but... If Lowry doesn't want to be here, that makes your directional decision simple. Yes. Or simpler. I would also just want to add to that that if Dwayne Casey's not the coach of this team next year, it's not necessarily an indictment of Casey or anything he's done wrong or failed at. It's the need for change. And like Casey's yeah. not perfect and he's not, you know, a top five coach in the NBA, but he's not a bottom five coach in the NBA and he probably doesn't deserve to get fired in a vacuum. Yeah. Um, but sometimes situations are what they are, and you have to change some things. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's, it's as Dwayne Casey has said many times, it's this league is more about players than it is about coaches. And if they want to continue to be at this we're competing level, then they need Kyle, not that it's an either-or scenario necessarily, but... Continuing to do the same thing doesn't make sense. I think Masai was sense. clear he wants them to kiss and dance. Yes. But continuing to do the same thing doesn't make a lot of sense um, in any scenario. So, and that, so that means something's going to change. And it's probably going to be personnel. Can it be Lowry, DeRozan, and Casey coming back? All three of them? Sure, but I kind of doubt it. Yeah. And another Caseyism, it's a make-or-miss league. Raptors have taken a shot four years in a row. They've missed. We will uh, we'll talk to you sometime in the offseason when there's more to talk about. Uh, if there's movement on the Dwayne Casey front, uh, something, we'll probably do some stuff closer to the draft and free agency, um, teeing those things up and revisiting some of these questions. Otherwise, Eric's going to take some damn time off. At some point. I don't know exactly when. I have to talk to uh, the powers that be. Yeah. In the meantime, let's go. Let's go, Blue Jays. <laughs> Get that whole team off the DL at some point. And yeah. Um, okay, we'll talk to you guys soon. We'll we'll try to not let this lapse for more than you know two weeks at a time, maybe yeah. throughout the off season. But it might not always be Eric. Um, who knows? It might not always be me either. I don't know. Who knows where any of us will be? Look, this podcast has taken a shot and missed. Maybe we need to make changes. Blake Murphy is taking maybe. a vacation. That's yeah. my other my other hot. For the first time uh, since 2012, about. I'm taking time off. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. All right, we'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks, guys. It's too late to be a reasonable man.